So, um, 20, let's see, it'd be 21 years ago when I started our previous church in my house. And when we were eight years, or eight years old as a church, decided it was time to build, you know this story. Went to bank after bank, and they just basically turned us flat down. You're eight years old, you have about 350 people, but we're not interested in working with you. West Michigan Bank was very mean, actually. We walked in, we were all dressed up, ready to get a loan, and they just said, we're not interested in working with you. Well, God's timing is always exactly perfect, precisely perfect. So we've been in this theater now for three years. Thank you, God, because our previous church made it impossible for us to find any place to go. Superintendent of schools basically blocked the way so we could not use a school building or anything. And so God provided this, and it's been a wonderful place to meet, but it's not our home. It's not ours. It's not our final home. And, and so um, when we finally built, it was nine years uh, in the previous church, and now it's three years, the beginning of September, and we will own our own place. Uh, we went to, we started the, the journey to the banks this week, and um, we, asked, we asked Grand River Bank a few months ago if they would loan us money, and they said, no, come back when you're three years old. They made an offer back to us already this week. They see the, the banker met with uh, three other pastors and myself, and said, we would love to be your bank. And we think there'll be, we, and in fact, he said, he said, we, um, I think there'll be four or five other banks that'll be fighting to get this loan, which is like ridiculously powerful. It's, it, it makes you laugh. It, it makes me giggle. Um, and it's not quite that simple. It does take strategy and planning. About uh, a week and a half ago, I had a meeting with about 40 guys from the church that came, and that's why I want to bring you into this. And it was like pulling teeth to raise any money. So I want to clarify some things. All money that you've been committed to give toward the building program in the past is irrelevant. This is fresh. This is new. This is what the bank is going to go on. We need to have, we have about $150,000 saved up, and we need to have about another 150, I figured 157,000 on top of that to march into the bank with. And we've done our due diligence in, in a lot of areas, and I want to abbreviate this because I have some really powerful things I want to share with you today. Um, that even though we have $150,000 in the bank, the bank is requiring 20% of the loan down. The, the building itself, was 995,000, I think it was, just a year ago, dropped the price to 895,000 just the week that we needed a place because we were being kicked out of our office space because they had a permanent lease. We went into a scramble thinking, and you have no idea how tough it is. There are no buildings available. We've searched the city over the last three years. We've searched for where, I really wanted to have a warehouse. There's a couple of churches that died and they want us to buy their building and I thought that'd be the death of us. But we found this building the very week that the owner wanted to actually put it for sale. And, it, and we were the first ones to go there. The staff guys and I, we just went over there and looked around. It was kind of a mess. There were big trucks in the, in the room that we're going to use as the auditorium and trucks and garbage all over the place. And I just thought, God, this would be amazing for us. Amazing because there's a huge room upstairs that's like 3,400 square feet that will be our children's ministry. I just thought it was too good to be true when it was at the exact time we needed it, and he was willing to rent it to us, and he's willing to sell it to us on land contract where he would be the banker. And we could, so no matter how we go about this, there's no way out. We're in. We're renting right now, but we'll be signing a contract very soon, and we will be buying the building, which seems entirely impossible. There's a million things that have surrounded this in the last few weeks that you couldn't even imagine. And um, so we had to be out of the offices. We rented the place. We moved right in and had to push the other trucking firm out and get them to drag all their trucks and semi-tractors and tires and everything imaginary out of that place. And we went, you know me, we went 100 miles an hour, started mowing and edging and weeding and cutting trees and trimming stuff. And if you drive by there today, it looks like a show place. 
It's not finished, but it looks amazing. We've got the sprinkler system working because Steve Swindle knows how to do sprinklers. And I, we wouldn't have been able to make it without Ray Denhoff and all the stuff that he's donated and trucks and huge, huge um, excavating type stuff and sprayed the ceiling in the auditorium after we kicked all the guys out and washed grease for days with literally spray wash with days and for Bob Brown who let us use all of his equipment to pressure wash stuff and worked our butts off as I did in my previous church and they said I didn't start the church but I did start the church and worked my butt off to make it happen and it'll happen once again only this time we're taking a lot of videos so that we'll have evidence 15 years from now when you want to say I didn't start the church and I'm ready to retire I'm not bitter I am not bitter. I guarantee you, I'm excited. I was out there working this week, and a truck pulls into the driveway, and a guy from my previous church who still goes there, he just was going, hi, man, how you doing? Long story short, we talked like 20 minutes, and he said, I drive by here to work every day. Like, this is, ridi this is ridiculous. This is your place. Wow. He says, let me just tell you, the power of God is gone in the previous place. I tell people, there's something wrong. Now, I don't want the power of God to be gone, but the power of God is either going to be with you or not. You either have the anointing of God or you don't. And they're going to try to, you know, when you don't have it, you want to discredit everybody else from having it. If God's here, God's here. It doesn't matter who's here. God's here. God is here. He's here today. He's already working to take you from something to something else. You're missing the excitement of the journey if you're bitter. You know what? If you've gone off the deep end with your life and you've been religious in the past and you've gone to church, God has you here today to make you realize this. Those things were so that you would one day realize there's power in really knowing Jesus and living for him. Yes. So we met with the bank. The bank is ready to give us money. Here's what has to happen. I have raised... In the last week and a half, we've raised out of the 157,000 we need, we've raised about 105 to 110, about 110,000. We need about $47,000 more. And you know how it happens? It happens through the five people who said, we will give $10,000. We don't even know where it's going to come from. We will give 10. Myself included in the five or six that said, we'll give $5,000. I got my phone up here. It's going to be going off the whole time. I need to shut her down. Probably my wife. She might be up in the middle of the night saying, I, I can't sleep. Um, yeah, thanks, bud. We need some people to give $10,000 or $5,000 or $2,000 or $1,000. It's simple. You need to reach into your savings, just like I will, into my retirement, and give $5,000 or wait for God to work a miracle. Casey Van Haren, they don't have any extra money. He just said, I, he, how much did you say we were going to give? $5,000. And he said he got some unexpected money in the mail. I am telling you that's how it works. You want to see your faith grow? You want to see your business grow? You want to see your personal life grow? You give back to God what you don't have, not what you do have, what you don't have. Because then you get to see his miracle working power. We can raise the other 47000 in the next week. Can we? Yeah. Who believes that? Yeah. Everybody that believes it has to agree. And if you agreed, you have to give. Oh, it's a little story of the little red hen. We want to eat the bread, but we didn't want to plant the seed. We didn't want to groom the seed. We didn't want to harvest the seed. We didn't want to grind the wheat. We want to eat the bread. No, you need to give the bread, not eat the bread. Yeah, you get to experience the power of God if you reach in. Today, let's settle it today and have the other $47,000. You write on a piece of paper, you give it to somebody to give to me. You're going to give this much money. You're going to stretch yourself and see if God doesn't bless. We had about a dozen guys there yesterday working because one of my favorite things to do is landscaping. We just landscaped the front of the church to the max. We paint, the, the, the building was white and kind of a reflex blue, ugly, looked like a tractor place. We're painting it black and gray. I, I went around for hours looking at other buildings to get my mind fixed on this. We also hired an architect, which is a part of the money that we are raising. For $16,000, it's usually like thirty dollars or 40000 
I did not expect him to come back that quickly. I met with him this week and said, we want to do this over here, and we're going to put a kitchen over here, and we're having a coffee shop here, and we're doing this to the upstairs, and the little kids are here. And, and he already sent me back preliminary drawings on Friday. This is going to happen fast. God wants it to happen fast. Our auditorium should seat up to like 500 people. And so I got online, and I was looking for chairs, and I found these great church chairs, a lot like the ones we had at the previous church, only they were black and tan. And I just thought, oh, this will be awesome. 25000 needed to be set aside for chairs. I get a text from um, Bob and Doris Colton last Sunday and said, we found some chairs online. I'll send a picture of them to you if you're interested. He sent them. They were the exact grade that I was looking at. They were used. They were down in Atlanta somewhere. And they said, we can get them for 1500 And I thought he meant 15000 I thought, well, that's a lot cheaper than 25000 Send me more pictures so I could see if they're clean. There's 476 chairs. And he sent me pictures back, and I thought, they look like new. Of course, that's what they do in pictures. But um, I said, offer them 12. I meant 12,000. They offered them 1,200, and we got them. <laughs> it's like, what? We need, they're down in Georgia, so we needed, I just put a note out on Facebook, we need somebody to go pick up the chairs. And Mike Reamersville, again, he gave a card this week for $10,000. Um, God gives it to you if you'll believe. He will expand your territory. I promise you. I promise you. Be brave. So we needed somebody to pick up the chair. So we kind of, we, it was $1,400 to have somebody bring them up here and then extra charges for this, that, and the other thing, and loading. We asked the Harringtons, and they're driving them up for us. It gets people involved in the place. I don't even think you should have any say in the church if you don't give. You should not complain. Even last night, even last night, people were texting me, I got this issue and that issue and uh, this happened and that happened. And I'm thinking, you know what? If, if you're really a part of the church, you can't just expect us to be there when you need us. You got you to be there all the time. Be a part of the body and experience the power of God. So I went home last night dead after that because I got an infection in my knee. And I've been really weak. And I went home dead after working outside all day yesterday. I'm going to be 65 years old. I'm, I can't keep up with 20-some-year-old guys and bulldozers and everything else. And, um, I got home and I plopped on the couch and Ray, Ray's wife's gone too. And he's got the five boys. And I just thought, oh, man, that's suicidal. Pray for Santellan and Ray. They got five each. I can handle one. I got home, plopped on the couch, and Ray texted me and said, you want to go to Steak and Shake? Just took a shower, and I said, sure. So I got up. I was going to go in the shower, and I looked out, and there was a, it sure looked like the moped from Dumb and Dumber, but I wasn't. But I looked out, and I said to Saya, I think Willie's out in front of our house. I said, that looks like his body, the helmet, the leather jacket. <laughs> The saddlebags on the moped. <laughs> what the heck is he doing all the way over here at my house? And he was just sitting there. I said, I'm getting in the shower. If he comes to the door, you meet him, okay? And I got out of the shower, and Sias says, he didn't come yet, Dad. He's just sitting out there. <laughs> he had taken a picture offline of my house, and it was the wrong color because we painted it last summer. <laughs> He'd gone to some other houses. <laughs> And he finally pulled up in the driveway and said, yeah, I'm here, Pastor. And I said, well, I'm going to Steak and Shake with Ray. You should come with us. So he ate supper with us. And then, here he is right here. And then I said, you better get home, Willie, because it's going to be dark. And he, he's got a 20-mile limit that he can go. And so I said, you better get on your moped. And I went to get the mail down the mailbox. And I thought, I'm going to wait out here and see if he makes it. He's got um, whatever you call that GPS on his bike that sounds like a megaphone. Go 400 feet to Van Buren and turn left. You're going to hear it a block away. So I'm thinking, I'm going to see what happens here, because there is one street before Van Buren. So he gets to the first street, and I thought, no, he's going to turn there. And then he keeps going, and he gets down to Van Buren, and he turns, like, in the ditch. And I'm looking and thinking, oh, my gosh, what? And he... He's in the wrong lane facing the traffic, and he's got a flat tire. I jump in my car. We push it off the road. 
You made it home, didn't you? Thank God, because he gives Ray a call. Ray, bring your truck. I need my bike on the back of your truck. <laughs> Ray says, I'm at Cabela's with my boys. I said, give me the phone, Willie. His tire's flat. He needs you to get his truck or his moped on the back of your truck. All right. So listen, this is a lesson in the church. Get my pants down. You're getting old. Everything creeps up or down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hair's growing everywhere. You don't want it to grow, and everything's creeping all over the place. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Remember that from uh, Christmas vacation? <laughs> they asked Uncle Ho whoever I think to pray, and he said, I pledge allegiance to the flag. <laughs> Helps to be a pastor or comedian. <laughs> so good to have the warrants here. When you're older, you're actually ADD too, and you just bounce from thing to thing. You forgot what you were talking about somewhere along the line. You forget, went in the kitchen to get a snack, and you ended up in the laundry room. <laughs> it's true. It is true. You know it is. So anyway, Ray's back there, puts the, takes Willie all the way home. Think of, first of all, Willie's precious because he's here, and he's in our body, and he matters. One thing to say it, it's another thing to put his bike on the back of your truck and take them all back, all the way back. And then I thought, the body is wonderful. It is wonderful to be where God is, but it's also wonderful to be where God's people are, isn't it? But we've been studying the life of Paul, which I think has been amazing. Whenever I sit down at the kitchen counter and work on my messages, I instantly am transported into the presence of mighty God. His word is crazy powerful. We don't need to try to elaborate or embellish it in any special way. All you have to do is read it, and it's powerful. And when you get to Acts chapter 9, you have the story of Paul and, and all the things that happened after his conversion. And then as Nick masterfully preached two weeks ago. We had patriotic last week. By the way, the float was amazing. The parade was amazing. Thank you. Um, as Nick preached two weeks ago, Paul ended up on the back side of Arabia, back side of the desert in Arabia. He's burnt out, disappointed, up against walls, Wondering what in the world is next. Turned against by people that he worked with. By family members. By fellow, fellow Hebrew people who knew him well. From Tarsus, his hometown. Beaten, slandered, pounded into the ground, abandoned, turned against. He's so discouraged. And you know what? God has this message today for me, always for me, and for the Warrens, for maybe Willie and, and other people who feel like my back seems like it's up against the wall quite often. Like, how do I get back here, God? Like, I'm just trying to serve God. I really love you, God. Are you, are you disciplining me? Are you angry with me? Am I just a reject? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why am I trying to live? And yeah, I, I know I have flaws, and I know that I've done things that I shouldn't have done but God, you're, you're forgiving. Why are people not forgiving? Wouldn't you think that if you were Saul and you had murdered people and you'd been this violent, horrible person, that you would, that your relatives and your friends would be happier that you had changed for the good? Wouldn't you think that people would want me in ministry instead of out of ministry? 
Wouldn't you think that people would rejoice that we are a church and that people are coming to Christ on a weekly basis? Wouldn't you think that people would rejoice that people's lives have actually gone from darkness and no hope and divorce and loneliness and sadness and all kinds of illnesses and everything else and the power of God has transformed them? Wouldn't you think people would applaud when we've been sick and now we're well? It wasn't that way. It isn't always that way. It isn't always people rejoicing. Many times it's people that should know better that are the weaker brother. They don't even care about you. A friend of mine years ago told me, nobody wants to hear how much you work or how sick you are or how sad you are. But God does. And so you can't take it anymore, and you go to Arabia. And you're in Arabia, and you're like, God, why did this happen? What am I doing here? Isn't there something better for me? Why am I here? I thought that the transformation that took place in my life would be Everybody would be thrilled by that. They're not. So Saul is there, come out of his Damascus Road experience where he got saved and he saw the light. And I do believe that you have to, at a moment in time, come to Jesus. You need to have a come-to-Jesus experience. Come to the water of life. Come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will come to you and live in you. And no matter how sick you are, how sad you are, how lonely you are, how far away from God you've been, how much sin you've committed, the water of life has flushed it all away. And Jesus says, I see no sin. I hold nothing against you. I'm here to give you life and life more abundantly. I looked up Damascus. Is Damascus still around today? Damascus, where Paul was headed to persecute Christians, was the city where there was the most, most influence in what happened in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, had bled now all the way up to Damascus in Syria, which is right next to Iraq. And if you looked up Damascus today online, you would see an Isaiah 17 prophecy that's been fulfilled in the last couple of years in Syria. Damascus is a city in ruins. Many prophets believe that Damascus is the beginning of the end when that city comes into ruin. It's nothing but rubble. The capital city of Syria lies in rubble, and people still don't believe Jesus is coming. You want to know why? Because we think it has to be in our time today, right now. And God says, no, I'm going to make you wait in Arabia. I'm going to make you wait for your miracle. I'm going to put your back against the wall and see how you respond. I want to bless you. You need to come out. Yeah, you're up against the wall. The Egyptians are behind you. Do you remember that God, because the, the Hebrew people were so afraid, that God literally put a wall between, so that a cloud between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian soldiers? He always puts a cloud of protection there so that he can lead you into what he wants to take you to. And we're full of such great disappointment. I am. I thank you, God, that you make me have to experience such disappointment that I will understand that in the word disappointment is appointment. You have an appointment, God, with me, with you, today, now. See, now is the time that God wants to work on you. It doesn't matter who else is here. You're here. You have a story, history, history in your life. And one thing is sure that if you don't learn from history, history is going to repeat itself again. you got to come out. 
and go into what God wants you to experience as your destiny. You have to put behind what is behind and look forward to what God has ahead. That is revival. It is. And now, today, is the time for God to once and for all revive your spirit and bring you out of living in that cyclical pattern of on and off with God. If good things happen, then I don't need God. If bad things happen, I got to go back to God, and God says, no, you need me all the time. Am I right? You need me all the time. You can't function without me. And so Paul could have stayed. He could have stayed down in Arabia. God doesn't want you in Arabia forever. He was there for years. It's nearly been three years since the most devastating things in my life ever took place. But as I told the man who drove in in the truck the other day, I'm not bitter, but I don't want to go backwards. I want to move forward. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God that you should get involved in the miracle of what God is doing. The day we step in that church, you should have taken ownership. We should raise the $47,000 in this service. Well, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses when God is saying, I'd like to show you that I can work miracles. I can do anything. Can't he? I can do anything. God is always up to something new. Always. If you look at Paul's life, you get to Acts chapter 10, and God is silent. Paul's gone. He's disappeared. He went off, and like other disciples, he either married a woman buried the dead, didn't have a place to lay his head, or bought a piece of ground. Those are the four things that took all the other followers of Christ away from Christ. You are either engaged to get married and something happens. You're either buying something that you need to make payments on. You are either wanting to get something bigger or something littler so you can lay your head. Do you realize this is how it works in going through life, when you're young, you want to get out of the apartment to your first house, and your first house is a stepping stone to your second house. I've had 12, and they all got bigger. As you get older, you're thinking, that's too big, and you size down, and then you size down a little more. Then you go to a condo, and then you go to assisted living, and then you go to hospice. It's the truth. You're on your way somewhere this morning to an appointment that God has for you. And in the middle of that disappointment that you've experienced, let me say this. God is on the move. God has brought appointment in the middle of your disappointment. God, you are moving. You are encircling the place, and you're saying to someone individually, You need to stop the pity party and have a celebration because God is on the move. God has an appointment for you. I got plans for you, plans to prosper you. Step up to the plate and experience the power of God in the middle of what you're going through right now in your life. And so you get to chapter 11. And Peter now comes on the scene in a powerful way. And he has this vision from God. He has this vision of this big sheet coming down, and on the sheet are all these animals that he is not supposed to eat. But God is on the move, and he's doing something powerful, and God is saying to Peter, as as Jewish as you may be, you don't need to worry about being kosher anymore because I'm going to take my words to the people who you don't think deserve to have them, the dogs, the hogs, and the dogs. All food is made now for you, Peter, to eat. Well, think about being the one that God delivers that message to. Only one family in our church thought we made the stupidest mistake buying this building. Only one, and it was because it's in the wrong area. We'll attract the wrong kind of people. Nobody will give if we get that kind of people. And I say, with that kind of attitude, I don't even want to do church. God is not a respecter of persons or of locations. 
God can work in the middle of a dump heap in the middle of Argentina where people live on the trash piles and get their daily food from other people's trash. God can work in China where communism rules and reigns right in the middle of it all. He could bring a light to save the entire nation. God is on the move. You know what he wants to prove? Either get on the bandwagon the way I'm moving or get off and get out and go to Arabia, right? Because I know this. I know this from experience. Not like my word is some kind of kosher God word. But if you ask me to assist you in your life, I will give you the best advice that I can based on God's word, not my ideas. If you refuse to accept that, then the consequences are yours. There is safety in a multitude of godly counselors. Are you listening? Not dictators, not celebrities, not just the pastor. Godly people will give you the right counsel. And so Paul's down there moping. And he had justifiable reason to do it. And Peter comes on the scene in chapter 11. And the whole first part is this. You got to take the word to the Gentiles. I told you, I had a, everything in life is for a reason. Because some of you have really screwed up your lives. Yeah. You've had children out of wedlock. You've been involved in things that you wouldn't even want to talk about. But God doesn't care. Did you hear that? God doesn't care because he's in the people changing. He's in the people changing business. I need to jump up and down like T.D. Jakes, but he probably doesn't have a sore knee like me. He just sweats like a pig because he's overweight. He's been hitting the barbecue way too much. When people tell me, I don't like T.D. Jakes, I think, I don't care what you like. I feel the spirit of God working when he talks. Yeah, I do. I listened to the message, and he just said, man, when your back's against the wall, you better open up. You better know that God's going to open up the sea. Your back has been against the wall, and you right now are on the verge of having to make a decision, and you're sitting in this room, and I can barely see you. You are sitting in this room by God's design today. I'm positive. The young lady who got saved last week, I don't know if she's here today or not. Is she here? Her mom's been coming with her. God brought them to our church a couple months ago because God had a divine appointment for that young lady to come in to the family of God and be sure that she's going to end up in the kingdom of God. I don't care what anybody says. We should have started Rock Church just for that. Right? Every soul is so valuable to God. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you are different. And Peter was the person that God chose to use to say, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And he gets to, you get to Acts chapter 11 and verses 19 through 21, and it says, now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And you got to look at a map, and you got to see Cyprus, this island out here by itself, and you got to see Phoenicia over here, and you got to see Antioch of Syria up here. And you look at it, and you realize that when Stephen who was being persecuted, and his death was supervised by Saul, persecution broke out because so many people were changing. Oh, God. When people's lives are changing, the enemy gets mad and uses religious people and the Grand Rapids Sanhedrin. You think the Sanhedrin doesn't exist today? The Sanhedrin wants our church out of existence. And guess what God is going to do? He's going to bring neighbors like the one that came two days ago. He was out jogging, a little younger than me, and and Nick was painting, and I went out there, and he just started talking about us moving into that tractor supply place and how he lives in this neighborhood over here, and he's a really sharp guy. And the last thing he said to me was, this place will not be big enough for you guys. When people walk away, they should know that they have been with Jesus. They should have experienced the power and the fragrance of God that comes off of your body, not from your alcohol and all your garbage, sin, and sex, and all your 
divorce and garbage stuff that has destroyed you. And I'm not saying this to be mean, but Zach Rasmussen has been one of my best friends, my best friend, for 13 years. I got a lot of best friends. It's hard. There's too many people in this church I love. Absolutely love the Rock Church. The guy that came to me for my previous church in the truck, he wanted that, I could tell. He missed that. What we have is a gift that comes through using your truck to take Willie home, using your ability to paint or your willingness to give so that you can move into a place that was such a miracle from God the whole city knows. People come in there every single day and just turn around and look, and I think they think, what the heck happened? (laughs) Seriously. You know what happened? God dropped a blessing in our lap right in the middle of Granville, as he does constantly, constantly, doesn't he? This persecution broke, broke out because of Stephen and all the people that got saved from the death of Stephen and then Saul, and it says, and, the, and, and it spread. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went up to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, dogs, telling them in the poor neighborhoods, the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And that's when you got like Nick and... (laughs) Nick, you have a lot of Dan, my son-in-law's dancing you. He does not take that as a compliment, Dan. Have you ever seen my son-in-law Dan dance? Oh, yeah. He's got dance in his feet. I'm not saying it's really sweet, but it's got dance in his feet. (laughs) Don't you think that if Jesus came and visited our church, he would want us to be just exuding love for one another and for God and the peace of God and joy? Because God does not give a stinking rip about what sin you committed. Oh, God, is that amazing? Lord, your grace is just poured on us all the time. This persecution broke out. These people got on fire, and they went up to Antioch, and things were happening. It was crazy. And so news, the Scripture says in chapter 11, of this thing that was going on in Antioch reached the church in Jerusalem down here. So they decided they need to send somebody up there to help out with all the people that were coming to Jesus. They picked Barnabas, a godly man, a new Christian. Said, Barnabas, you got to go up there. You got to get up to Antioch because something good is happening up there. Yeah. Man, I get so excited when I read the word of God, I think. Something good is happening right here. You're missing out. Forget that other life. There's only one thing to keep focused on as a believer. That is the appointment that God has for you. He's calling you from something to something. He's taking you from something. That's destiny. His destination is out there. You got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, forgot the pain. He didn't care about the suffering that was ahead. He had a mission. His focus was on the kingdom of heaven and taking everybody he could with him. Dragging them in with him. When people walked by, I saw this couple go by the new church yesterday. They were very, very dirty, pushing a bike, and they had everything they owned in a zipped-up plastic bag that you would buy a comforter set in. And they just stared, and I kind of waved at them. And I actually turned around and said, Jesus, they need you. They won't be dirty anymore. They won't be bound anymore. They won't feel filthy. Who knows if they didn't grow up in a church like me, in a good, legalistic, strict Baptist church, knowing all the rules and all the regulations and all that stuff, but turning away from God. And thank you, Lord, for your grace that you saw fit in my life, as in many other people's lives, to make me realize your grace is sufficient, God. 
Your oil is anoint. Oh, the anointing of God and the water of God to wash you clean is so powerful. You don't need to push that dirty bike with that little bit of trash in there. I don't know if they were just a guy and a, a, a man and a woman together. It just looks so dirty. I thought, God, you could free them. Do you know how many young people want to be freed from garbage that has them? Bound. How many college-age people want to be freed from the garbage? They look clean on the outside. They got it all together, but they're not happy. They have no peace. They have no purpose. There's nothing for them to do. They would hope that they could be a Barnabas, that God would say, I want you to go. And it says in the scripture, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A great number people were brought to the Lord. So let me just say this. If salvation is just something that you assimilate along this journey in life, then why does it say that a great number of people were brought to the Lord? It doesn't say they just grew into Christianity. It says Barnabas went there and preached, and Peter went and preached, and Paul went and preached, and people throughout the New Testament went on these journeys, these missionary journeys, and a great number of people came to Christ in salvation. These people were added to the Lord before they were added to the church, A.T. Robertson said. People want to go to church. You come to church? Many people came in here today because it's your duty to do this. You think, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. Or maybe because you're going through something, you're really searching for something, and you came today. Somebody told you you should come with them. You came. Let me just say this. You are not here by coincidence. God brought you today. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes. God brought you into the house today. Oh, man, his spirit is powerfully working today. I could sense it from the moment I got here. God had something that he wanted to happen today, this day. July 10th, 2016. And the scripture goes and says this, um, that Barnabas couldn't handle the load himself, so he remembered a man who was qualified to actually assist him in all that needed to be done in Antioch, and this is how I see it. Barnabas had heard that Saul had been in Arabia, was really, really discouraged down there, ready to throw in the towel, feeling like a piece of you-know-what, thinking about his previous life and how he murdered people and how worthless he was, and he was never going to escape the bondage of the past. And now everybody that he had that liked him when he was religious had turned against him also. And he thought about this man, Saul, and he thought, I am in, I am in the ministry of reconciliation. I care enough about Saul. I'm going to go find him up in Tarsus where he was. Now, it could have been five or six years that had passed since all of this stuff. He's up in Tarsus, and Barnabas goes to him and says, Saul, I need you. Oh. No, not me. No. <laughs> Not me. God, you, you can't use me. I'm right in the middle of something. You can't use me, and God uses Barnabas, but brings it to his mind that, no, Saul needs to get back at what God wants him to do. Forget the past. Forget your hurt. Forget your divorce. Forget this and forget that because God will deal with all that. He still loves you. You have forgotten that. Don't be bitter. Be better. Barnabas goes to Saul, and I could just picture it. I've shared my testimony multiple times through the years. Some people think I'm making this up. No, I'm not. I was 21 years old in Bible college, fell away from God. My senior year, moved up, 
north in Minnesota with a bunch of guys, partied all the time, had a big old farmhouse, raised a bunch of animals and stuff, and drank, drank and was partying all the time. And then, like it were yesterday, and I'll be 65 in a month. And then one night I couldn't take it anymore. It felt like I had no purpose to go on. And so I just got some booze. I sat under the tree and drank. And then God said to me, get up and go back on top of the haymow behind the barn. And I climbed up there and I looked at the sky and I really got mad at God. Good and mad. I shook my fist in his face and said, God, if you exist, you can't do something because I don't want to live anymore. I have no reason to go on. Alcohol doesn't satisfy me. Girlfriend doesn't satisfy me. Nothing satisfies me. And I fell asleep. I know it sounds weird. I had really long hair. I was a hippie and had bib overalls on. <laughs> Comfortable. And I woke up and I tried to talk my roommates into going to church because I said I didn't want to live. They said, okay, we'll go with you. We went to church. They drove their cars. I drove my six, 1962 Plymouth Station wagon. And they're right in the middle of the country bumpkin church, out in the middle of nowhere. Pastor wasn't saying anything. I wasn't hearing anything. I got in my car, got it up to 90 miles an hour down an old road, and I was going to run it into the telephone pole. And this is the truth. And God spoke to me in the car, and he said, stop the car. Go down that long driveway right there. There are some Christians in there. I had heard that these Christian people lived over there. It was Sunday morning. There was dust all around my car. It stopped so fast. I backed it up and drove down that driveway. I felt like a fool. I had never been there before. I didn't know these people. I just knew of their reputation. I got out of my car, and the old screen door was open into the kitchen. I went and sat at the kitchen table and just started bawling. For a long time, like being down in Arabia, crying and wishing that someone would come. And they came home from church, and they walked in the kitchen. And the old guy dressed up in a suit, because that's what everybody did. He got down on his knees by me, and he said, we've heard about you guys over there. We've been praying for you. And I was sobbing, and I said, I don't want to live. I don't want to live anymore. If I can't live for God, I don't want to live. And he, was, he just was weeping with me. And he said, God wants you back. You took back what you gave to God, and you cannot do that. You can't say, God, I'll do anything you want. You can't have a Damascus Road experience and not realize that God is after you. You cannot. You have to listen to God. And he told me, he said, you got to go back and finish college and be a preacher like you said you were going to be. And I did. Is it an easy journey? No. The enemy will try to stop you in every way possible. He will use the people that you thought were with you, against you. But he's never against you. When your back is against the wall, God is there. He cares. He is after so many younger people that are just not realizing it's been God in my life. It's been God. So, hey, didn't share this part of the story. Two weeks before I was going to kill myself, I went back to church. I drove all the way to Minneapolis and went to Fourth Baptist Church, which was a big church. And my college roommate, who had graduated and has taught Greek and Hebrew there ever since, he's still there at that seminary. He was only, what, same age as me. I walked in the church. I had long hair. It was like a hippie. And I walked in, and I knew, I, knew, I knew tons of people there. And I could see people all whispering under their breath. What in the world is he doing here? And I... Couldn't take it. I got in the door. 
And I turned around and headed back for the door, and I heard this person say, Peterson! And I was just putting my hand against the, the door to open it, and I just started crying right off the bat. He said, Peterson, don't walk out that door. And I walked out the door, and he, he ran down the hallway to me. You're not leaving. You came here by God's design. I said, I can't go in there. Those people hate me. He said, I don't care what any of them think. I care about you. I love you. You come and sit with me. And I've shared this multiple times. We not only walked in, we walked in the service because it had already started. He had a seat way down in the front. <laughs> we walked by all of them as they talked. People of God, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is that God knows we've been in Arabia. Knows you're sitting on a shelf. Knows you've been wondering where God is in the middle of all your disappointment. He doesn't say repent. He says come. Come to the water. Yeah. Those who are thirsty. I want to sing that before we leave again. So praise band is going to come. But I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Because you know. You know, and if you'll turn the lights down a little bit and bring the lights up in the house, you know that God's been after you. You, you. you know this. You know enough about God to know that he's been after you. Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter. He's after you. And you came today by God's design. That's the fact. That's the truth. That's the bottom line. And you're sitting in the room. And you know right now that God is after you about something. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come up here or anything else. God is after me about something. Christian or not Christian, he's talking to me about something. Yes? Anybody else? Yeah, all over the place. Now put those down. You're in the room, but you know that God is after you because he wants you to come to God in salvation. He wants you to be saved to know for sure that you are going to heaven when you die, and you don't. And you will pray, raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to. I really want to. That is my prayer and desire right now. Is there anybody in the room? Raise your hand. Anybody that says, I don't know, but I want to know, Pastor. It's necessary. You've you got to get to the point in your life where you realize, I'm lost. I'm not going to heaven. Anybody in the house? Maybe you don't want to raise your hand now, but you want to talk to me afterwards. I'm here. Okay. Yeah, there's one person. Anyone else? Please come and talk to me or come and talk to Nick afterwards. <laughs>